This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Well, welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here in, in association with my good friends at Preaching Today, the Ascent Leader and Food for the Hungry. Today, we're doing something a little different. I usually get the privilege of um, interviewing some incredible pastors and preachers, people that I just really, really um, respect and admire, uh, people that I've known for, for many, many years. Um, but today is different. And here's why. Uh, a couple months ago, my friend Andrew, who works with preaching today and does a lot with the kind of facilitation of a preaching today award that goes out to five seminaries uh, that students have won. Um, I, I started to hear about this and and Andrew and I started talking and and we were like, well, what if we could do like a bonus episode and just just learn, learn from what these younger emerging voices uh, experience, what they are doing, uh, what what seminary prepared them for. And so I'm really excited because uh, I, I have four of them on this episode and just spending a few minutes just uh, getting to hear a little bit where they are, where they've come from. I think this is going to be a really, really fascinating conversation. So without further ado, friends, I'm excited uh, to welcome Ryan Roach, Abby Stuckle, Rachel Cook, and Christian Schmidt to the Crafting Character Podcast. And this is just going to be free-flowing. I'm going to hit you guys with all of the theological questions. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. I, I, I really want to, I want to talk about the homiletic, the, the art the craft of preaching and and really how you feel uh, your unique seminary and the experience that you're in right now currently is really helping you kind of take what you've learned and put that into practice. And Ryan, let me start with you because um, you're out in, you know, you can look out your church office right now, see the Smoky Mountains, you're in Tennessee, you've spent time um, at Western Sem. Um, talk about how that shaped and prepared you uh, for the pulpit and for preaching? Yeah, I'm mostly um, through the dissertation process uh, because I was engaging in things that I hadn't ex- engaged with before. The, the, the thoughts, especially, and my, my focus in, in the dissertation was uh, expository preaching in a multi-ethnic church. And so reading um, things about racism, how to preach that from the pulpit and how to handle that correctly, both biblically and um uh, just as a interpersonal relationships, um, something that I never really considered before doing the dissertation. So that was primarily my, my, uh, the thing that shaped me most. Um, and to be frank, I wouldn't have done that otherwise probably. And so kind of being forced to do that in the dissertation was, um, was key for me. I, I love that idea of the expository preaching and especially centered around issues of race. Um, I can imagine writing that and the research that is goes into a dissertation um, full 
full candor. I don't have a seminary degree. Y'all are way smarter than me. Uh, but I, I'm really, really curious. How did that prep process of writing that, what's similar when it comes to um, writing a sermon? And then what is, man, it's just an entirely different medium. It is so different. Um, but it actually helps you when it comes to the pulpit and, and preparing for a teach. Yeah, so I manuscript, um, and it's just what I'm most comfortable with. I don't advocate everybody to do it, but uh, it's what I'm most comfortable with. Um, the problem is when you translate that into writing, um, your writing tends to sound like a sermon. And so uh, I've had multiple people read through uh, a couple of drafts of the uh, first few chapters, and they said, it, this really sounds like you're preaching. And so that that took a quite quite a challenge to get out of that and get into more of an academic kind of a writing mode. Uh, but it does help. I mean, my sermons are about 4,000 words um, every week. And so I'm writing something new with 4,000 words. So it, 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 was an, it wasn't a difficult transition into writing, um, taking what you've read and what you've studied and all the notes that you have and kind of putting it into uh, a writing form. So it was very helpful, very different, but, but helpful at the same time. That's fantastic. That's so fascinating to me. I, I love just even the, the conversation is it like around exposition and expository preaching and race. Is that something that you hope to, to put into print? Is that something that just it will be at Western um, that somehow, cause I'm like, now I want to read it. Yeah. So uh, I sent it out to a couple of publishers, got rejected by a few and uh, Whiff and Stock agreed to do it. So it's going to be hopefully by the end of this year, it'll be um, in print. Awesome. Well, please let me know. I would love to, I would love to check that out. Um, Abby, what about for you? Um, and you are at Truett, uh, in, in Waco, Texas. And, um, what for you? I mean, you're, you're in a, a role as a connections pastor. Um, but I, I'm curious, how, how did Truett, I mean, there's some heavyweights when it comes to homiletics and preaching, uh, Joel Gregory and, and many others that are there. Talk about some of the key learnings that you had at Truett that really helped you discover your voice and, and, and really kind of shape and form such incredible messages. Yeah, um, really incredible professors helped me along the way, like you mentioned. And similar to Ryan, talking about something Western kind of forces him to do um, when he's talking about his dissertation. Um, true, it forces every single master's student to take a preaching class, whether or not they feel called to preach. Um, and so it was not something I was planning to do when I started seminary, but it's something that ended up happening and I ended up loving it, um, which has been a blast to learn along the way. But something that when I was taking my preaching classes that has helped me grow a lot was talking about the context of preaching. Um, you can absolutely be a guest preacher and not know your congregation at all. But when you're in a staff role at a church, it's important that you know your people and know how to preach to your people because all preaching is venue specific. Um, I work in a rural congregation um, in a small town. And so the way that I preach in that city is going to be different um, than me preaching in one of uh, the churches in a bigger city like a Dallas or a Houston um, in Texas for me at least. And so um, that is something that really started to shape my preaching was understanding the people um, to whom I am preaching and communicating with. Um, but I hadn't really thought of too much before seminary. Um, and my classes at seminary also helped kind of shape and think through um, 
planning out elements. I, before I took preaching classes, when I would preach, I kind of had a loose outline and I would just go for it. And it was probably really, really bad. (laughs) Um, I just kind of gave, you know, my two cents on whatever biblical passage I was preaching from that day. Um, But being in seminary was really helpful to get kind of like a structure and an outline and understanding of how to communicate well and effectively in a sermon. And so thinking through context and thinking through um, content as well is really how seminary helped shape me and helped me grow. I love that. I mean, I think I think so oftentimes when we think about context, you know, we're, we're thinking about, oh, what, what, what was Galilee like in the first century, which is, which is so beautiful. But I, I, I do find that so many preachers run to a commentary. Okay, what, what does Scott McKnight think? What does, you know, Gary Burge think? And, you know, what are what some of these incredible, you know, Golden Gate think? What, what, what does N.T. Wright think? You know, and they, they miss that point you just said that you you understand the context of this little rural community 40 minutes from Waco way better than Scott McKnight understands it you know and and we often don't think about well what's the ache that our people are wrestling with and so i just i, I think it's a really really fascinating line just, can you say that one line again you said every you talked about the venues yeah all, this is a Joel Gregory line. He said it in class all the time. He said, all preaching is venue specific. All preaching is venue specific. That's fascinating. Uh, Rachel, you, you just found yourself going to Denver Seminary and, you know, four days ago made the drive down to San Diego to become a youth pastor at Flood Church, which is an amazing church in, in San Diego. Um, talk about that line because uh, venue specific, you, you just left the granola mountains for the, the waves and great breakfast burritos. Um, so, uh, talk about what you, your experience at Denver Sam has prepared you for stepping into this new role at Flood Church. Oh, that's such a good question. So my time at Denver Seminary, really the biggest piece in preparation for me was First, the identity piece, um, knowing that I belonged in the room was a huge part for me to even begin the process of writing a sermon because when I was insecure or anxious, I just wasn't capable to hear as clearly from the Lord. So my advocates, Dr. Scott Winnig, who was my preaching professor, really just created a space for me to grow and develop. So that was really the biggest piece that the Lord had to work on with me to begin my preaching journey. Um, But I love that line, the venue specific um, for preaching. I grew up in San Diego, California. So coming back here, I do find it invigorating to get to preach to a culture that I do know, though I haven't been back full-time since 2013. I do have a learning curve and working with the younger generations, middle schoolers and high schoolers. I have a learning curve, honestly, to get to know what my students are going through and really how to translate the Bible to them in an engaging way. I think one of the things I love the most about expository preaching is that you get to camp out on one passage And bring the audience and the listeners into falling in love with the Bible. Because so often we can read through these passages and you miss so much. I miss so much all the time. 
And then when you illuminate it, my hope is like, I want to spark love for the word of God. And if I can make that fun with stories um, for any generation or age, that's really like one of my greatest hopes. Like besides just my big idea of the week, can I help people fall in love with the word of God? Because they feel like, oh, this is accessible to me. And this is absolutely relevant to my life. It's so beautiful. I, 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 you know, I always love these kinds of conversations because someone will say something and it sparks so much. Like I have a thousand questions I want to ask Ryan about race and what he learned and just even the venue specific. And, and it, and it is amazing when you can live in a pericope, when you can live in a chunk and a text and you can kind of discover it. And there are times when, I don't know if you if you ever have this, but it's, you, you're, you're kind of reading through and all of a sudden it's like one verse has been there, you know, for so many years, but you somehow didn't, ever see it or see the weight of it. And it's like something just illuminated um, in this season. And I was on a call uh, a couple days ago and uh, a pastor friend said, hey, have you ever read this passage from Romans 14, 17? And I, I was like, I, I think I have, I don't know. And so I, I, opened, I opened the Bible, but it just, it, it's so beautiful. It's for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. And, and it just was like, this is Paul writing this. And it does, and it feels so not Paul, but it, it, it's just this one line that's like tucked away. And I had just totally missed that. And it's just so fun when all of a sudden that, that thing gets illuminated. And then you're like, I love you use the word translate. Now, how do I translate that so that people can be invited into what's not just beautiful words, righteousness, peace, and joy, but know what he's really talking about when it comes to that unique context. I, I love that you're doing middle school because if you can preach to a middle schooler, you can preach to anyone. If you can hold their attention, that's where I got my start. And I absolutely love it, love it, love it. So um, Christian, what about for you? I mean, you come from um, just a, a, a place of profound legends that have just uh, been at Gordon-Conwell, like uh, talk about your, you know, primary learning. What, what, what stood out to you as you kind of walked the halls and entered into the classrooms uh, there in Massachusetts? Thanks, Steve. Um, I have, I guess, the good fortune to be going last on this question, so I've had some time to think. Um, I think there's, there's three things I would mention, and I'll try to keep things brief. Um, the first is the awareness that an audience moves slower than a preacher. Um, it's just a rhetorical truth. When you're speaking to an audience, I like to say you need to be thinking about pulling a trailer. Um, you need to move a little bit slower than you would if you were alone. And you need to take your corners really wide. Because what makes sense often in the preacher's head mostly because they've written it, they understand where their sermon is going, um, is going to be way too fast for an audience who's trying to understand it for the first time as this preacher is going through it. Um, so, yeah, and that sort of fits into the, to the audience um, awareness piece that, um, that Abby, you, you brought up, that people move, move slowly 
behind you and that you need to preach to people, not to yourself. I think Can I jump in real quick right there? Because course. I think it's a great, it's a great point. If, if uh, you're, you're recently married and um, you'll have this moment where your wife will ask you, your spouse will ask you, Hey, what, what are you, what are you preaching on? And you'll, you, you know, you're paid to communicate. So then you in five minutes, try to take what you've been studying for 15 to 20 years or 20 years, 15 to 20 hours and try to try to make, make it make sense in five minutes. And then your spouse will look at you and be like, and you, and you can tell she doesn't get it. And you're like, Oh my goodness. You know? And so you, you like, you learn that. Or if you have a teaching team and you're sharing an idea and you're like, Oh, they're all, they're all biblically trained and they don't even get this. And, and so then all of a sudden, you know, as, as Rachel's talking about, you know, insecurity comes in, like, did I, should I get another job? Like what's going on? But it, but it really is, I think learning to go, Hey, how do you communicate these ideas in ways that are accessible, but they don't lose the depth. Um, that's, I like the imagery of pulling a trailer. Um, let's talk, talk about the other two. Yeah. So much of that comes down to just good supporting material. Um, being willing to move slower, slower than you think you have to, um, with confidence, knowing that an illustration or a story or another few sentences of explanation are actually landing out there in the pew, even if it feels dull or unnecessary from the pulpit, because I've been thinking about this for 15, 20 hours, just, just like you said. Um, other two points I have really gained an awareness of how, I would say, how perfect the perfect sermon is and how far out I am from it every Sunday when I'm preaching. Um, ironically, getting an education in preaching destroyed my confidence in myself, um, which I think is a good thing. It, it's really forced me to rely on the spirit in me. Um, to rely on the spirit in my audience. And that's, that's I think, an essential part of, of Christian preaching, a reliance on, on the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, even if it means that I'm so much more nervous now with a master's degree under my belt and some real heavy, hard-hitting homiletics training than I was five or ten years ago when I was starting to preach. Um, there's, there's a particular irony there. Point number three, um, I'm a good three-point preacher, right, is I think the complexity of the Bible and the complexity in turning the Bible into a sermon. Um, Rachel, I love how you brought up um, just the, the beauty of the text. And as, as I've been thinking through sermons and series, I've realized that this whole big idea model uh, that, that we talk about a lot. You, you take your text, you reduce it to a big idea, and then the big idea becomes the big idea of your sermon. It, it doesn't work because the text is so much more complicated and so much more beautiful than that. And that's a lot of what I've been wrestling with the last six months or longer. How, how do you preach a text that has many ideas in it. Um, man, that's a, that's a, those are good three points, man. They, they, they taught you well at Gordon Cromwell. And, um, 
I love that. I, I think that there's so much in there that it's just, yeah, I feel like we could, we could camp out for, for, for hours on Ryan. I'm curious for you. Um, you, you've been preaching, um, regularly for how many years? Uh, as a senior pastor, lead pastor since 2015, but before that did six or seven years in student ministry. Okay. So middle schoolers and high schoolers. So yeah. Yeah. I, I'm curious for, for you and, I, and for, for each of you, it seems like so much of, of the world has shifted in the last few years and there's so so much, you know, if you go online around preaching or online or, you know, shorter, and this kind of goes to your point, Christian, about the, the big idea. Um, how, how has kind of your seminary experience prepared you for this ever-changing world to actually be able to preach? And, 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 you know, you've been doing this, like you said, elite pastor role since 2015. So you've, you've seen some significant shifts. Obviously with COVID, you can go politics, with everything around race. But, but, but certain pieces as that shift has happened, um, how, how did the classroom help you um, so that when you stand up in front of a, the pulpit, it's like, it's not just relying on stuff from 20 years ago, but man, this is, this is, this is like new and fresh and like speaking to the people and where they're at. Yeah. In, in a way it hasn't, uh, it, it, but it also has at the same time. It's weird. It hasn't because who could have predicted COVID, right? Who could have predicted, I mean, our political system was always broken. Certainly that was my minor in college. So I worked in, in politics before. Um, it was always messed up. It was always broken, which is why I left. But um the seminary, no seminary could have like prepared us for that. But it did in a way to, um, and, and this is kind of in a roundabout way. I don't think this was the intention of seminary, but to show how little that I'd actually do know. So the whole joke is the, the first semester seminary student goes back to their home church and listens to the preacher and sits there and thinks, well, I could do better than that. And the preacher's sitting there with a PhD, right? So and 20 years of experience. Um, but over time, you realize, when, especially when you focus on something, you realize how little that you actually do know. And so there's a humility that I have, and it sounds weird saying that, um, that I have that 10 years ago, I wouldn't have. Um, so kind of the adding on of education and schooling has helped me to realize, man, in the big scheme of things, I don't know much at all about anything. And so um, that's been again, part of the seminary experience that wasn't uh, direct, but it was for me invaluable because I needed it. Cause I was, um, at times I was arrogant. I was a jerk. And, um, the older that I've gotten, the more that I've read and studied, the, the more I realized how, how much of a jerk I was at, at times and how much I thought I knew more than I actually did. Yeah. I, I, I love that. I mean, Rachel, you, you kind of referenced the word insecurity and Ryan, I love how you almost ref in, in a, in a way, reframe that as humility because there, I, I, I can relate Rachel to what you were feeling um, because there's oftentimes, you know, when I preach, you know, 30 sometimes a year and be like, man, I don't know anything about this. I, who am I? Like, you know, and, and all the t- just thoughts, well, I wonder what this preacher said, or I wonder what they said, or wonder, and you, and you just having to sit in the, the humility of, I don't know. 
And I can pretend or I can act or I can try and perform or I can just see what almost go through my own Paschal mystery of <laughs> death in this process and um, watching new come to the forefront. Um, I'm curious, is, is that word humility connected to insecurity for you in the way that Ryan was saying it? Because sometimes I think we think insecurity and we're like, what am I doing? But the way that Ryan framed that and I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe every week or two weeks that we're preaching, we, sh- we should be brought to a place of that humility. Like I have so much to learn. I have so much to grow and preach from that place. I, I, that's kind of an answer and a question, but just when he said humility, I thought that was just a beautiful reframing. H- how did that hit you? Yeah, Ryan, I think we're having this Holy Spirit moment because right when Steve asked that question, I was like, I've been humbled in seminary. I, I don't feel totally prepared to talk on our culture's issues that we are wrestling with, but I feel a lot of security in knowing that I don't have to know. And um, like what Christian was saying, like the spirit is with the people that are listening. Um, so the Lord will speak to them with whatever our message is. But also I think something I take great comfort in, in the humility posture is that there are going to be plenty of times where I am actually not the best person to speak on a certain topic. And since we as pastors have been given these platforms, how can we share and put other people on the platform to share their stories, to share their perspective, to share their experiences in conversations with race gender and sexual identity. I've been so blessed by hearing um, people's testimonies, people's lives. Um, So that's really been something I felt a lot of freedom in is I don't have to know everything. And there's actually so many other people that would speak with greater authority and insight than I could on many topics. And I would love to learn from them. That's, that's such a great, like other side of the humility for you to say, oh yeah, this, I don't know. And what do you have to teach me? And the humility to say, yeah, I I don't know. I've learned some stuff and I'm still not the right person to communicate this. And who can I empower? That's, I mean, just having that level of framework, um, instead of just feeling the pressure that you should know, you should be able to preach on this. And there's some topics, yeah, we have to push ourselves to, but I love that. Um, when I was at Rock Harbor a Church in Costa Mesa, California, and uh, the founding pastor had had a, a moral failing, and I was just an intern, and I was in Baba College, and I, I, there was like seven of us, six on staff, and then me, and I thought I was going to lose my internship just because how everything went down. But what was amazing was they would talk about a, let's say humility. We're going to talk about humility and being humble from first Peter, you know? And so then, then people would share ideas and then the, the team would nominate who's living out humility the best. And so they'd be like, "Uh, Ryan, you're, you're going to be preaching on humility. And it was just, and so then you'd like be like, oh my goodness, like I'm not, I'm not the smartest person, but the other six people are saying, no, but you embody it. So teach us, teach us from how you actually live your life, which I think is beautiful. Um, Abby, I'm curious. I, I, I mentioned that being a middle school pastor just prepares you 
And I think preaching often for so many people has been around what you know and how you can communicate what you know. But I'm beginning more and more to realize that um, preaching is just servant leadership. And it's, it's the people business. We are in the people business. We're trying to connect people to Christ and connect people to the text and connect people to each other and connect people to their own trauma and pain and, and areas where they need to be sanctified. Um, you're, you're in a connections role and you get to just bump up every day with different people who are in different walks of their journey. How has that shaped your preaching? How has that kind of helped? I mean, uh, I feel like for, for many of us, we're always looking for good stories. You, you probably have life stories all the time, but, but how has that shaped you in this role as Connections Director Pastor? Yeah, absolutely. It, it is really, we're talking about humility a lot, but my role has helped humble me in the sense that I'm somebody who grew up in the church. My mom was on staff at the church I grew up at, And so there hasn't been a Sunday, Wednesday where I have not been in church like my entire life if I wasn't sick. And so I've grown up just hearing so much about Jesus and who he is and became a Christian really early. So I'm very comfortable with all of this. And in my role, um, one of the things that I get to do is teach new member class at my church. And um, we have people come in who have just heard about Christianity for the first time. And then people like me who have been in the church since they could, since they were born. And so getting to navigate through conversations of people asking the big questions of what do you mean? Like, who is this Jesus person next to the people who can give you the perfect Sunday school answer over and over again, because we've just heard it our whole lives. And so being able to navigate those conversations um, in our new member class and connecting with people in that way has really helped me in the pulpit because it's made me think through and be kind of critical about my sermons and how how am I communicating the gospel? How am I communicating Jesus? And is this something that's accessible for somebody who's never heard about Jesus? And is this also something that's going to take people like me who have been in church their entire lives another step towards discipleship? And so it has helped me when I've been navigating these conversations with people in all different walks of faith or not even having faith yet, and um, to think about how to translate that into the pulpit. And so it's definitely been a learning curve, but I think it's made me grow in my preaching um, and my ability to communicate with different people because I've learned that different people learn different ways, need to hear different things in different ways. And so it's definitely changed and challenged my preaching a lot. I love that. I, you know, one of the things that's always in the back of my brain is when I'm shaping a message is you're preaching to a sixth grader to a scholar and everyone in between, you know? So this first, <clears throat> for a sixth grader, is it, can they find themselves in that story to a scholar, you know, if, you know, being in Grand Rapids, you know, I had a bunch of seminaries right there. And so that, that kind of, I love how you framed that for yourself because that's so important. And being able to do that, I mean, the people who are fully devoted to the people who are just exploring are going to be able to find themselves in and connect. Um, Christian, I, I'm curious for you, you know, you, you delivered a three point sermon and, uh, I love those. What's when you went to Gordon Conwell and, you know, you, you, you come from a place that, um, and, and each of the schools I, I could, I could rave about, uh, 
a kind of a homiletics legend from each of those schools. Um, but most, most people that I interact with have been influenced by Haddon. Um, and, you know, I just was with uh, Ken Shigematsu uh, interviewing him and, and he went on a riff about Haddon. And, and so, so I'm, I'm curious for you as someone who was never able to take a class but almost in this cloud of witnesses, what are what are some of the principles or the values, um, for better and for worse, that of Haddon that just kind of hangs over uh, Gordon Conwell? There's a question. The principles from from Haddon Robinson hang over Gordon Conwell. I think on a on a purely mechanical level. Um, his his textbook and his process, um, his his big idea model, um, both in his interpretation scheme and then his in his presentation scheme, how we understand the Bible and how we talk about the Bible, his big idea model is the gold standard um, at Gordon Conwell, and I would probably say in in the entire evangelical world right now. Um, you, uh, it's, it's hard to throw a rock and not hit Haddon Robinson in, in the field of, of evangelical homiletics. And I mean, that's, that's had huge effects on, on how we think about preaching. Um, the most obvious I think is that evangelical homiletics is grounded in the biblical text. It's expository. Um, it's always been, and and Haddon Robinson was sort of the sort of the last nail, if you will, that that's going to be holding holding evangelical homiletics to be foundationally expository. Um, I think I think forever. Um, so it's it's really a whole framework how we think about it. Which is which is good. Obviously, we're all Bible scholars. We all believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and we all believe that I don't have anything to say other than what God has said, well applied. Um, so that's that's a huge upshot, I think, to to using to using Robinson's model, is that it keeps you so firmly grounded in the most valuable part of preaching, what we're preaching from. Um, there is, although I think a, a danger um, in in Haddon Robinson's model, that we oversimplify um, either the biblical text or our audience or the sermon. Um, sort of the, the three foundational parts of homiletics: understanding the, the text, understanding the sermon itself, and understanding the audience. I think if we if we're not careful, we are going to oversimplify all three of those. Um, because there are absolutely biblical texts that have, if not multiple big ideas, one big idea and one little idea or eight little ideas. So if you want to say not only what scripture says, but all of what scripture says, um, we need to, we need to really pay attention to the little ideas. Um, when we're thinking about the sermon, we need to realize that there's, a lot more going on than merely information exchange 
and even a lot more going on than merely um, personal formation. Um, there's culture formation. There is, um, no, I could, I could list off, but there's a million things going on there. Well, I think, it's, I think it's a really good point. And, and maybe we just end with this question because, and I'd love for each of you to, to have a chance to kind of to, to talk about this because it, let's, let's just kind of piggyback off of some things you said, Christian. Uh, you've got to go slow, then like you're pulling a trailer. Okay, so, so that you got that visual in your brain. The big idea, uh, it being grounded in the text, um, but sometimes can get overly simplistic, right? Well, you can you can see how an idea can get overly simplistic when you're when you're like, because someone's trying to make it so accessible to pulling the trailer. Um, but I I hear you saying, man, there there's more in that, and I think that's the tension of communicating. I think that's the tension of the craft when it comes is, am I making this too simple? Is my rhyming scheme um, and, and, you know, the three points making this uh, too accessible that's not going to actually hold up in the cultural strongholds or actually, um, you know, if, if you're not from a person of privilege or you're in a certain different um, setting, is, it, is, is this really going to hold up on Monday in the marketplace? Is this really going to hold up as a high schooler with so much internal pressure? Um, and, and then there's a part where you can, man, not try to make it accessible and try and go, y'all, y'all got to join this and you gotta, you gotta just figure it out. You know what I mean? So I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get to, how do you wrestle with that tension personally? Cause I think you're bringing up some really, really great points, Christian, because I think, man, it's so easy when it comes to the craft, uh, to either make it too simplistic or make it too impossible to access. Are there certain questions each of you ask yourself um, that you maybe kind of wrestle with or to, or ways that you just try to ensure that um, you're doing that? I have a guy um, who sits in the front row whenever I teach in Chicago and I'll teach for, you know, 35 minutes, usually around the 25 minute mark he sits in the front row and just screams out, make it plain, doc, make it plain. <laughs> and, but I always think about that phrase, like when my prep, like, how am I making it plain? How am I making it plain? Um, Abby, let me start with you. Um, how, how, how do you sit in that tension and, and do that in a way that you feel like honors your voice, but honors the text and your congregation? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, we all went to seminary in this conversation. I um, am a nerd. I love the research stage. Um, get me as many commentaries as you can in front of me. Like I want to highlight everything. I just really love that. And so as I'm doing the research stages and trying to even figure out what my big idea is going to be, because that's I was trained with the Haddon Robinson model too. Um, what I kind of look for and think through is what is being repeated across all these diverse commentaries that might be a common ground. Um, Cause I like to read things that may not agree with one another uh, may not agree with me because I help, I think it helps make me a better preacher um, and better understander of God's word. And I can communicate that with a more diverse group of people. And so um, as I'm doing the research, that's kind of where I sit with attention is thinking 
across all these great scholars who agree and disagree on different things about this passage, where is the common ground? Like, where do we see what God is doing in this passage of scripture? And how can I communicate that to my specific context and my specific congregation? And so I think it depends on the passage. That's kind of what I've learned. Sometimes we need to hear that simple truth. Um, just God remembers us period. Sometimes we need a little bit more of a complex truth to understand what's going on. And so for me, it's a wrestling between the commentaries. It's a wrestling between knowing my congregation and knowing, is this a simple truth moment or is this a complex truth moment? Because they both hold validity. Um, and so it's kind of a juggling act, um, but that's why knowing your congregation and your people really matters. And that's why studying and doing the research matters on the flip side too. And so there's never a formula I have or an easy answer, but it's holding the weight of those different things and reading and studying across different voices and perspectives that kind of helps me come to whatever the big idea is going to end up being um, for that specific sermon. Abby, I love that. I think that makes you uh, great at what you do because just that value of looking for the common, common ground Um it's an amazing evangelism strategy too. And it's amazing preaching uh, strategies as well. He's looking for that and seeing that and being able to speak into that. So that's, I love that. And knowing the validity, they have validity, simple truth and complex truth and knowing which one is which. That's beautiful. Rachel, what about for you? How would you answer that? Yeah, well, starting off with a little homiletics confession. Sometimes I notice in my preparation process that by the time I get to the end, I'm like tired. I've put in so much like effort at beginning and the wrestling phase that then like my conclusion and my application, I'm like, all right, let's shorten it up. Um, And something I think the Lord convicted me of is to actually really focus on the application and conclusion and not give it less attention. So for me to hold the tension about like simple truths, focus on all the little truths, I think I'm starting to process like if I were to focus more on my application to really think about the people who are listening, the people that I love, uh, my friends and family who are not believers, like how would they listen to this message and really apply it in their everyday life? Um, For me, that's really where the tension currently is. Um, And that's kind of where the rubber meets the road for me of can this be applied? And my husband's a software engineer. So I constantly have that check at home of like, does this hold up at the workplace? Um, So that's where I'm really focusing on the tension is, can I make a very robust application? Yes. I love that. I, and I love that you're married to a software engineer who can go, no, that does not, (laughs) does not make sense where I am. And that's, 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 that's so beautiful to be able to run that through and to help people. I, I think most leaders and pastors are asking the why question. I think most people in our congregation are asking the how question. Like how do how do I actually do this? How do I? They want to be a good person. They want to they want to love their neighbor. They want to forgive. They just don't know how to, you know. And so I think those application points are really, really important. Being able to fight for that. 
Ryan, let me end with you on this because, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious uh, for you. Um, how do you, I mean, you, you going full circle, we started and your dissertation is on <laughs> expository and race. So, you know, talk about a complex conversation, but how, how do you wrestle through uh, that intention and knowing your people now Alcoa well? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that I do that very well, to be honest with you. Um, that one of the quotes that uh, that has stuck with me for a long time is from John Stott. And he, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you know, hey, Jesus says, feed my sheep. But some of us and, and those of us with some academic credentials, we have uh, the ability to take the cookies and put them up higher. And, and Stott said, it's, it's almost like we're thinking that Jesus said, feed my giraffes. And so there's a, there's a balance there, right? That, that we want to um, kind of not dig in too deep, but we want to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf, but we don't want people to eat cookies forever. And so there's that, there's that balance. We, we, we want to eat meat and to, to have the, 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 the amazing taste of the word, right. As we're preaching. And so that requires us to have this kind of delicate balance or this tension to use a word that you guys have used um, of, of making it accessible, teaching the word well, but also stretching them. And, and it's, it's kind of like exercising, you know, where you, you have to keep pushing a little bit further each time you go, otherwise you're just going to flatline. And so, uh, our job as preachers is, is not just to say, here's what the Bible says, here's the truth, but, but again, the, the, here's what it is and here's why it matters but at the same time, challenging people to, to, uh, to learn more each and every time so that five, 10, 20 years down the road, they've matured. And so that's really our, our duty. Our job is to mature believers, to train them, to equip them in order to ultimately send them out, whether it be to a foreign mission field or to their job or to their school or to their neighborhood or even to their home. And so that, that's our job. And that doesn't happen unless we do stretch them. So there's this weird balance that comes into play where you're trying to connect with, 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 again, in our church, we've got sixth graders. My son is in sixth grade and I've also got uh, a PhD, a professor of, I think he's engineering or something, something that I don't understand anything he says. <laughs> so trying to connect with, with a guy who's off the charts intellectual and my six-year-old son who can't pay attention very well, right? There's a balance there. And I'm not sure I figured that out, but I hope that I've improved on that. Um, as we all have just with experience. That's so good. I, I think that exercise visual is so helpful because again, the only way your muscle grows is by being stretched, you know, and, but if you do that too long, you know, you, your, your body can't handle it. And so being able to recognize how to do that and um, man, that's so, so good. Hey, if you're a pastor and you are just listening to this, um, man, I, I had told each of the, these um, communicators said, hey, probably 30 minutes. Um, we're, we're almost an hour in right now. And it just, it just made me realize um, the gift it is to, to sit with, with people who are in seminary. Uh, maybe in your context, you might have a couple seminary students or you might have a couple Bible college students that are home for the summer and, um, or home for a fall break or winter break. Um, take them out to coffee. Uh, hear what they're learning. And I just, there's been a handful of things that um, they've said. 
Um, some probably quotes, you know, from a Joel Gregory moment or Had Robinson or something that they learned in a classroom to um, just how they are taking what they've learned and translating it to a rural area, to a city, to a new context, to uh, their own hometown. And uh, you will you will just learn so much. This is. Uh, been such a gift. And um, just once again, congratulations to each of you for, for being the Preaching Today award winner for your uh, seminary. It's a big deal. Um, I didn't get that, um, but I didn't go to seminary, but I didn't get that uh, in my college. And uh, that's, that says a lot about your preparation, your character, and uh, just pray all of God's best for each of you and hope that you can continue to, to get better at your craft. Um, but my prayer is that your character will always lead the way. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Craft and Character podcast. Uh, if you want to learn more about what we're doing, go to Preaching Today. Uh, check out the ascentleader.org. We do cohorts around communication. And um, I'm excited because uh, there's more to come in our partnership with Food for the Hungry. We're doing some incredible things that I can't wait to tell you about. So much love, everyone. Grace and peace. Peace.